we're going back to Mark. Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. A little something different. Usually we're back in the Old Testament, but we're back in Mark tonight. As we're looking kind of the conclusion of the message we started on the last moments of the life of Jesus Christ before his death. The title of the sermon this morning is The Death of Jesus Christ. The Death of Jesus Christ. We find it in Mark's Gospel, in Mark chapter 15, verse 33 this evening. Mark chapter 15, verse 33. When the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lomo sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now some of them that stood by, when they heard it, said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain and from top to bottom. And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There was also women looking afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the less, and of Hoses and Salome who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him, ministered to him, and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. We think about these words, the last moment of Jesus Christ before his death. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we can come together on this evening and ponder this most historic event of the death of your son, Jesus Christ. What a horrible event it was, but yet, as we mentioned, how as horrible it was, we know it was necessary for our salvation. I pray, Lord, this evening, you'd help us to be always grateful for all that you've done for us and your sacrifice on the cross. And I pray this week, as we think about this week of Passion Week, as you've entered into Jerusalem, and all that you've done, as we've mentioned these last several weeks, the teaching, the going through the temple, ultimately to be denied, and those who followed you would be offended, ultimately to be spat upon and, 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 and scoffed at as we looked at this morning, and ultimately even now to be crucified. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be thankful and grateful, but yet pause and think of our own sacrifice and ask ourselves, what have we done for you? I pray, Lord, you bless this message. Do what I cannot do. Speak to hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've come to the study in the book of Mark tonight, this horrifying event. We see the course that Jesus was betrayed. We see that he was, he was left by his most loyal of subjects, his friends, his disciples, all left him except for one named John, and we'll get to that. He was hated by the religious leaders. He was hated even more by the Roman soldiers who scoffed at him, who mocked him, who spit on him. We looked at that this morning. But this evening, we're going to learn about more about his last moments before his death. First of all, this evening, we see the conclusion of Christ's suffering. The conclusion of Christ's suffering. We're going to see this evening the seven sayings on the cross. There were seven sayings or seven phrases 
that Jesus said while he was on the cross of Calvary. The first of them being, first of all, the words of pardon. Of course, you don't find all these words in the book of Mark chapter 15. That's why it's good to go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see the the harmony of the Gospels and how all these fit in. Remember, this is, this is John's perspective, or as we looked at the very first day that we went into the book of Mark, this is actually Peter's perspective because he was in this scenario. Mark was not. So we first, first saying here we see from the cross is words of pardon. And they're found in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Then, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lot. The first thing that Jesus said on the cross would be the, maybe the last thing I think he would say. Well, from my perspective, when I'm going through pain, when I'm going through suffering, when I'm going through difficulty, when I'm going through hardship, the last thing I'm thinking about is forgiveness. Well, you guys are must be, must be, you really must have had a long nap today. You still sleep. <laughs> you still struggling. <laughs> Does anybody, do I have a witness at all? Or am I the only person that feels that way? But aren't you glad that Jesus is so much not like us? That he is so different than us? The first thing on Jesus' mind is not how to get back at them. What can I do to them? Look how they betrayed me. Look how they hurt me. Look what they said about me. Look what they've done to me. Now we just talked all this morning about what they had done to him. They laughed at him. They spit on him. Put a crown of thorns on his head. They put a reed on his, in his hands and beat him with it. Put a robe on him. Tore it off. Put his old clothes back on. Then eventually took those claw, clothes off and left him on the cross. Nailed him to the cross virtually naked. Not in the company of good people, but in the company of two thieves. And his first words out of his mouth was on the cross. It was not how he was going to come back and destroy them all. It was not how he was going to condemn them all. His first words is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, how wonderful the words of Jesus Christ. You know, forgiveness is important. It's throughout the scriptures. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I thought about this this afternoon. You will never grow spiritually until you have forgiven others biblically. You will never grow spiritually until you've forgiven others biblically. I know people that are in the same status spiritually for 20, 30 years because they've never forgiven mama, daddy, brother, sister, cousin, former husband, former wife, child. The list goes on and on. And they will never grow. They will stay babies, though they may be 50, 60, 70, 80 years of age, they will stay spiritually babes because they've never forgiven somebody. I was so thankful. Miss Marilyn, about a month or two ago, sent me a letter that the man, the drunk man who killed brother, her son Al's wife and dog sent. And in that letter explained how 
grateful this man was who admittedly killed his wife and dog. Brother Al forgave the man and sent him his wife's Bible. And in that letter, that man expressed his, his sorrow, his guilt, but I believe ultimately his salvation. And when things happen to you, you're going to make a, you're going to make a decision in life. You're going to get bitter or you're going to get better. You'll get bitter or you get better. And things hard, things difficult things can happen to you. But let me ask you, has anything ever happened to a more innocent person than Jesus Christ? And yet his first words, though he could have condemned them. We sing that old song, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have stopped it all. He could have stopped his suffering. He could have stopped his pain. He could have stopped everything. But he didn't. He didn't. You will never grow spiritually until you're forgiven biblically. The conclusion, first of all, our words are pardoned. But secondly, words are promised. In Luke chapter 23, verse 43, Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. We talked about that this morning, those words that Jesus said to that thief, that thief hopefully on the right side. He was on the right side. Whether he was on the right side or not, he was on the right side. And dear friends, those words... Are true for us. I love the words in John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I'd have told you. I go prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We have a place prepared for us. We have a place prepared for us. No matter how bad things are, no matter how difficult things are, no matter how frustrating things are, you have a place, a better place prepared for you. A place where there's no more weeds. Well, y'all didn't shout on that one. You won't do no more weed eating in heaven. You'll be no more killing cockroaches in heaven. No more snakes, brother. There won't be one snake. If he is, there'll be a holy snake. <laughs> won't be no more lizards. Won't be any more thieves. There won't be any more rust. There won't be any more mildew. That's a saying a whole lot. Because we're all, always killing mildew. There won't be no more of that. Oh, we're going to a perfect place. There's no more problems and no more pain. No more prescriptions, no more pills, no more doctors, no more dentists, no more trials, and no more troubles. And ultimately, 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 there will be a time when Jesus will wipe all the tears away. I believe there will be a time of tears, and I think part of that tears will be knowing that there's going to be people here. They're not there in heaven. They're not here, not there. I think part of the tears may be because of our own, our own, our own judgment that we go through. But ultimately, Christ will wipe the tears from our eyes. And I believe the former things, as the Bible says, will not be remembered anymore. Oh, what a wonderful place that is. I was thinking about Adoniram Judson, the first American missionary to Burma. Took him so, so long to get over there. This was a time when there was no mission boards. 
People didn't, missionaries didn't go around churches and do like the missionaries we see them do, go around and have prayer letters and all that. Much of his support was simply by faith and, and people he knew. That's basically how he got there. Ultimately, he, got, he was on his way to Burma. And on his way to Burma, his wife lost a child. 99% of missionaries would have went back home at that point. They'd have quit. Too much. They buried their first child at sea went on to Burma. Took him 12 years, 12 years before their first convert. He had to learn the language. He, he broke the New Testament from Greek into Burmese. And, the, and they use, still use that, that translation even today. The persecution got so bad, they imprisoned Adoniram Judson, put him in, 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 a, in a prison, and they hung him up, upside down in chains. Now, he didn't, have a, he didn't have a gym he could go to. He didn't have a chapel he could go to. Couldn't play basketball in the afternoon. Getting, getting to watch Top Gun Maverick, as they do at the prison over there. <laughs> he didn't have anything like that. And the only way he survived is his wife took him food every day. If his wife wouldn't have brought him food, he would have died of starvation. A little bit different than the prison system in the United States of America. One of the cruel captors said to him, Where's your God now, Ardenheim Judson? He said, My future is bright as the promises of God. His future is just as bright as the promises of God. Dear, future, dear friend, no matter what you're going through tonight, your future is a whole lot better than the future of most people around you. Your best days are ahead of you. You see words of pardon, words of promise, words of preparation, John 19, 26, and Jesus therefore saw his mother and disciples standing by whom he loved. That was John. He said to his mother, to his mother, Mother, behold thy son. He said to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from thy hour the disciples took her into his own home. What was Jesus doing there? He was honoring his mother. You know, honoring your father and mother is not limited by age. As long as you are breathing air, you're to honor your father and mother. It did not say also, it's not limited by age, and it is not limited by, how, by their actions. It does not say, honor thy father and mother if you have a good mother. Honor thy father and mother if they spoil you. Honor thy father and mother if they help you. It just says, honor thy father and thy mother. As long as we're living, we need to be honoring our father and mother. It says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and it says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 2, Dear friends, honor your father and mother. They might not be honorable, but the Bible doesn't say if they're honorable. It just says honor them, and he was honoring them. There's no age requirement on honor, and there's no personality requirement on honor. We see words of pardon, words of promise, words of preparation. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, words of pain. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Interesting enough, a few thousand years earlier or so, Psalm 22, verse 1, and to the chief musician, Psalm of David, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from, thy, and from the words of my roaring? His predecessor, way back predecessor in his lineage, 
said, why hast thou forsaken me? There's times in life that we need to cry out to God and ask him why. He said, That's, that sounds irreverent. Jesus did it. Sometimes in life, you're not going to know why you're going through a problem. Sometimes the answer is not going to be in the written, written, written down that you can understand it and you can see it. Sometimes God is allowing the problem you're going through to help us go through the process called sanctification. That means spiritual growth. Darkness at Calvary did not represent absence of God, but the holy, terrifying His presence. It was during this time that Jesus cried these words in darkness. The Father descended in judgment on Golgotha in thick gloom as a divine executioner unleashed His fury, not against sinners, not against the sinners, but on the sinless one. Words of parchment. John chapter 8, 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be filled, saith, I thirst. Jesus cried out, I thirst. The one who made water said, I thirst. The one who had said, in John chapter 4, verse 14, Whosoever drink of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing into everlasting life. On that cross, he said, I thirst. Words of power. Words of power in John chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus therefore received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Redemption was complete. And he said one more phrase, the seventh saying in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The Bible says, and having said thus, he gave up the ghost. He gave up the ghost. God signaled determination as we just read with the veil of the temple, the massive woven curtain that permanently separated the holy place from the holy of holies, from the outer sanctuary, was miraculously torn from top to bottom. Top to bottom. 1,500 years, only the high priest had been allowed to enter to the holy holies, and only for a brief time, once a year, the day of atonement. But now, the veil has ripped in two. The veil was ripped in two. Also, two other events happened. Miraculous event. At the very time of Lord Jesus' death, we see the powerful earthquake followed by a preview of the resurrection. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and prepared to many. Two things happened. There was an earthquake and there was a resurrection of the dead. You see, when... When Jesus Christ died, there was, it was a happening, and everybody knew it. Earthquakes, like darkness, are often associated with Scripture with the presence of God. The power to raise the dead similarly belongs to God alone. These two miraculous events at the, happened at the death of Jesus Christ. So we see the conclusion of Christ's death, but the confession of a soldier. Look at verse 39. Look at verse 39. It says, and when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out, he gave up the ghost. There's 40. And when the, excuse me. It says in.
Verse 39, when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out that gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. We see, first of all, his rank. His centurion meant he was basically over a hundred people. Now, this soldier, he's seen people being crucified before. It wasn't his first time. I'm sure he said seen people cry out in pain. I'm sure he's seen people cry out in vulgarity. I'm sure he'd seen people weep for their mother, make all types of promises, beg to be, beg to be taken down, but he'd never seen anybody like Jesus Christ. He'd never seen anybody like Jesus Christ. We see his rank, we see his realization. He said, truly this man was the son of God. This confession is interesting. For the first time in the book of Mark's gospel, a human being called Jesus Christ God. The Father called Jesus God at his baptism and his transfiguration. Even the demons called Jesus Christ God. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 11, the Bible says, The unclean spirit, when they saw him, fell down before him, crying, Thou art the Son of God. In Mark chapter 5 and verse 7, they cried out with a loud voice, and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. The Father knew the Son. The demons knew the Son. But humankind did not understand who he really was. Interesting. This pagan Roman centurion, leader of men, said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. The Bible says in Luke chapter 23, verse 47, when the centurion saw what he was done, he glorified God and saying, certainly this man was a righteous man. Yes, he was. We see the conclusion of, the, of Christ's suffering, the confession of the soldier in verse 39. But thirdly, this evening, the confusion of Christ's servants. Look at verse 40. There were also women looking up on afar off, of whom, among whom was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the less Roses and Salome, think about this. We see their loyalty. Remember Mary Magdalene? She was the one that was filled with those demons. Why would Mary like Magdalene come? Why would she be there? When the other disciples were gone, why? Because the person that's forgiven much loves much. The person who's forgiven much loves much. All the other disciples had fled. But these faithful ladies had stayed near the cross following the Lord. There's a saying, the closer to the cross, the thinner the crowd. The closer to the cross, the thinner the crowd. Remember the disciples had said, though everyone, though everybody forsakes you, we'll never forsake you. Every one of them are gone. Only these ladies and John, as we'll read about, are left there at the cross watching their Lord in puzzlement. Remember the crowd at the very beginning had proclaimed, Hosanna. Now they had cried crucified. The ten disciples were gone. Judas was gone. Only John stayed faithful to Jesus Christ as we read in John chapter 19. We see their loyalty. We say their labor. They ministered unto him. As we read in Mark chapter 15, verse 41, during his three, three and a half years of ministry, these are women who prayed for Jesus. They prayed for Jesus. We heard several sermons this last week on the importance of prayer, that we need to be a people of prayer. Prayer is more than just a time, though it's a time, it's a part of your life. 
The Bible says pray without ceasing. It should be a part of your life. Oh, yeah, it should be a particular time. I think it would be a good time to pray is in the morning. I think a good time to pray is before your meals. I think it's a good time to pray before you go to bed. But prayer should be a part of your life like, like breathing is a part of your life. You should be able to lift up your voice and say, Father, help me in a temptation. You should be able to lift your voice up to God and pray and ask God to forgive you if you failed that temptation. There should be multiple times a day where you go to your father in prayer. What is prayer? It's simply communication. Do you ever feel unworthy to go in God, to go before God in communication? Well, dear friend, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you have access to that throne. You don't have to schedule an appointment. You don't have to call a secretary. You can go 24-7, 365 days a, a year and access the throne of grace. The Bible says you can go boldly, not cowardly, not cringingly, not carefully, but boldly to the throne of grace. Do you go bold to the throne of grace? Do you go with your petitions? Your petitions are asking something. Do you go with your praises? Your praises is, is glorifying him. Sometimes I think we treat God like a glorified Santa Claus. Here's my wish list, Lord Jesus. If you don't give it to me, then I ain't going to pray to you no more. No, dear friend, we ought to go into his courts with thanksgiving. Into the house of God with praise. Do you praise him? Do you thank him? Oh, dear friend, first thing out of your lips in the morning should not be, oh, my aching back. <laughs> it should, oh, my wonderful Lord, you give me another day to serve you. You gave me another day to please you. You never gave me opportunity to do something for you. Every breath, every moment is a gift. What a thank him and praise him. We see their loyalty. We see their labor. They minister. They prayed him. They praised him. And I believe they provided for him. They cooked. They took care of him. They washed clothes. They fixed meals. They helped out. Thank God for these wonderful ladies. Right now, they're standing there looking at their Lord. And they have to be perplexed. They have to be perplexed. Here's the one we saw, as I mentioned this morning, do all those wonderful miracles. And here he is hanging between heaven and earth on that tree. They had to be weeping and sad seeing his visage, as the Bible says, past the point of even recognition. They'd looked on his lovely face so many times, but now they see him. They see his scarred body. They see his pain. They see his suffering. And I'm sure standing there weeping and crying, all they wanted to do is just want it to end. They just want it to end. I believe the... The beating is, was so wicked on the Lord Jesus Christ, they couldn't even probably put it, they couldn't even put it on film. It was that horrible. The last time I tried to watch the Passion of Christ, they started beating Jesus. I just couldn't watch it anymore. I just I could I could I had to look away. I remember this first time when I watched that when the movie came out many years ago. They started beating the Lord Jesus Christ and started scourging him. It was one of the first times I'd ever been to a movie theater with people actually crying in the theater. It was so horrible. Even though we know 
you know, this was a film. The fact that Jesus Christ was getting beaten and it went on and on and on knowing he did that for me. And I am so unworthy for that. The confusion of Christ's servants, their, their loyalty, their labor, their leaders. Who were these ladies? Well, Mark identifies these three women, starting with Mary Magdalene, as I mentioned. The woman who Jesus himself cast out seven demons. She was from a village called Magdala. When I was on a trip to Israel, we got to go to Magdala. And Magdala, as we were told by our our tour guide was basically a nothing. It had been basically a, a, a town that just almost wasted away until the Catholics, they came in and, and did a kind of a renovation of the entire place. Now there's a very expensive motel there. We tried to get into the motel. It costs more money than we could afford to go to the motel. They have a nice little a reenactment of what happened. There's a nice little place right by the, the sea, Capernaum. Near, well, Capernaum is near Magdalene, and the Sea of Galilee is right near there. But this is the place of her origin. Secondly, we see Mary was distinguished as the mother of James the Less. Now, Mary was derived of the Hebrew word Miriam, was a very popular first century word. Six other women in the New Testament share the same name, Mary, the mother. Of course, mother of the Mary of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Mary of Bethany, uh, sister Martha of Lazarus. Mother of the Mary of James the Less, Mary the, the mother of John, Mark, and Mary of Rome. And thirdly, there was the third lady, Salome, the wife of Zebedee, the mother of James and John, both of whom were the apostles of Jesus Christ, James and John. Of course, we know from John chapter 19, as I mentioned, other Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, was there. Can you imagine Mary being there, seeing her son so mistreated? Remember way back at the very beginning, she was told that a, the sword would piss her heart. Remember how she had, I'm sure over all these years, some 30-some years, she'd ponder what this man would mean. She's seen him do such miracles. She's seen a side of her son that nobody else seen because she was a mother. And now she's watching her son die. For her sins and the sins of the whole world. During these horrible six hours when Jesus was across, it looked like the end of all hopes. The world was the, the hopes of all the worlds were dashed. Sometimes you look at life, and sometimes we think because of troubles in life that all hope is dashed. We look at the economy, we look at the leadership in our country, look at the problems economically, problems politically problems and foreign, foreign issues, and we say, what's going on? Sometimes you get up in the morning and wonder, when's it, when's it all going to end? When's the chaos going to be, be over? And, the, and it's in those times we remember that life does have a purpose. We can sing, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I'll carry on. Because I know I have a future. Amen. Life is worth the living because I know, we know he lives. This was Friday. As dark as it was, 
We know Sunday is coming. The Bible says in John chapter 16, verse 32, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, when you've been scattered every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. Dear friend, no matter how dark and how dreary things are, you have something right now that Jesus did not have on that cross, the presence of the Father. The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost is in us. The Bible says in John 16, 33, These things are spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Yes, we are going to have tribulation. Expect it. Expect tribulation. Expect trouble. Expect difficulty. Expect problems. Expect division. Expect people to be contrary to you. Jesus went through all those different obstacles, problems, desertion, difficulty, pain, because he had a mission. He had a goal to accomplish. And dear friend, so do you. God has put you, God has allowed you on this earth for a purpose and a reason. You're just not a, you're just not a mass of molecules here just to sit for a time being until your day is until your ticker quits. No, you're here for a reason and for a purpose. You didn't come from a monkey. You didn't come from a molecule. God created you with a reason and a purpose. You're here alive today for a reason and a purpose. And with the life that God gives you, serve him with it. Serve him with it. There's going to be days when you feel defeated. There's going to be days when you get discouraged. There's going to be days when you want to give up. When you feel like there's no hope. When you feel like it's a Friday. But I promise you, for every one of us who know Jesus Christ our Savior, Sunday's coming. Better days are coming. The question is, or do you believe that? Do you trust that? Because this world can get discouraging. And you wonder why you still live. Why are you still here and you just want to give up, and you see no hope. This afternoon, I called my sister. I've been trying to get my sister in a good church for nearly 30-some years. 30-some years. She'd been saved. My wife and I led her to Christ after a church service, but she hadn't ever gotten into a good church. Now, she'd been in church. <laughs> There's a lot of churches out there. And I met her and saw her in January, as I mentioned to you a while back. I got to spend about an hour and a half with her on the way from Greenville, South Carolina to Charlotte to go to Israel, take my flight from, from Charlotte to Trenton, New, uh, Newark, New Jersey, and ultimately to Israel. And I encouraged her to get in a good church. And I called her a week or two ago, and I said, talked to her a little bit, and she still wasn't in a good church. I said, Mitzi, it's time to get into a good church. And of course she said, well, you know how hard it is to go into a new church? Nobody knows me. I said, yeah, I know how hard that is. I did it right here. <laughs> right here in this place right here. I walked in here. I didn't know anybody but that lady right there. That was the only person I knew. I met Brother Gilbert one time at a wedding. I had nobody here. I didn't know if you accept me. I didn't know if you reject me. I didn't know if I was a mistake. I didn't know anything. I just trusted God. 
I said, I know exactly what it's like, but if it's God's will, you'll go and he'll be with you. So I, call, I talked to her yesterday, texted her, Kate, now you go to church tomorrow. Now you're going to church tomorrow. Now you, you're going to church tomorrow, right? <laughs> she said, yeah, I'm going to church tomorrow. It's about 1.30, 2 o'clock this afternoon. I called her. I said, did you go to church? There was no answer. I said, uh-oh. Uh-oh. She called me back about 10 minutes later. I went to church. It was the best thing I ever did. I stayed there at 1.30. I said, whoa, you really didn't go to church. <laughs> you went to church. He said, Marty, she said, Marty, you should have been there. They got up, and they just gave testimony after testimony, and they were thanking God for all that God had done. And, and she said, I got up a testimony too, and I talked about you. <laughs> I said, you did? She said, yeah. They said, how did you know about this church? She said, my brother. <laughs> Called me from Florida. She told me, he told me about a church here in town that I ought to go to that church. And I just went. I listened to my brother. I said, praise God, you listened to your brother. <laughs> Thirty-some years. And you listened to your brother, finally. And she went. And she was blessed. And she's going back to church Friday. Many a time I thought to myself, oh, she'll never get that lady girl in church. <laughs> I'll never see her get to a good church. But today was Sunday for my sister. How about you? Are you living Friday right now? Problems? Difficulties? It's Friday! It's dark! It's dreary! It's problems! It's pain! Sad. Situation doesn't look, it doesn't look like it's going to ever get better. It's Friday. Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. Will you trust him who saved your soul from hell that he will deliver you and bring you into a better place? Oh, he may allow you to be in Friday for a long time, but I promise you, Sunday's coming. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. As we contemplate the death of Jesus Christ, how sad it was, we know it was worth it all because Sunday's coming. Oh, he was in the ground. And even the, being buried, he was active. And ultimately, he rose from the grave, conquering death and hell. So each one of us could conquer death and hell. I wonder the night as the piano plays, do you know Christ is your Savior? Is there been a time in your life where you placed your faith and hope in Him? I hope you have. I believe most of us have in this room, but maybe this evening you're going through a Friday in your life. A, pen, a, a period of wondering, a period of waiting a period of darkness, a period of trouble, a period of trial, a period you don't know how long it's going to last and when it's going to be over, but you're trusting God to help you. Say, preacher, I'm going through some troubles, going through some trials right now. Would you pray for me that God would help me get to that Sunday? I'm looking for that Sunday. Preacher, would you pray for me? Anybody like that this evening I can pray for? Amen. Amen. I'm going through a Friday right now. 
I'm going through a difficulty. I'm going through a trial. I'm going through a trouble. It looks dark. It looks dim. Don't understand it. Maybe nobody else even knows. I'm going through a trial. I'm going through a Friday. Let's stand to our feet. If you'd like to come, pray and ask God to help you. The altar's open this evening. The altar's open. Would you come? Come ask God to help you, to give you strength, to give you grace, to give you help in your time of need. Would you come this evening? Ask God for mercy. Ask God for patience. Ask God for grace. Whatever the need is this evening, would you come? I don't know what Friday you're going through. I don't know what trouble you're facing. But I promise you, Sunday's coming. Would you come?